is the Under Centre Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Under Centre Podcast. I'm your host, Zara Mar, and I'm joined by only Fionn Malloy this week because Jake Woolhead is one of the numerous players now who's decided to hold out uh, in the hopes of getting a new contract uh, this year. Now, Fionn, I know Jake's contract is up soon, but you got to believe that the podcast needs come first. Yeah, I think so. It, like, you have to support the brand. You have to support your teammates here. Uh, I mean, I'm happy I got my big contract last year, so I'm signed up till 2025. So I can appreciate Jake trying to get his bag. But, I mean, at the end of the day, the money he's asking for is just outrageous for the talent that he has. Well, to be fair, we did give him a lucrative offer of one slab of cans every year. So that he didn't go for that. Uh, so let's let's see if um, he's driving a hard bargain. I think he wants three. I think we might meet in the middle somewhere. But we'll hopefully, hopefully by the next show, we'll have him back. Well, look, he wants to give me uh, pictures of beer. So that comes out of his wages pretty, pretty steeply. True, true. And nobody wants a pitcher of Guinness either, so that won't work using those cans <laughs> pitcher belts. That definitely, that definitely won't work. But look, listen, uh, let's get we'll talk a bit a little bit about football because on today's show we are continuing our off-season series. And joining us today to speak about the New Orleans Saints is Michael Balco from the Michael Balco show. Michael, how are you today? I'm good, I'm good. Thanks for the invite, fellas. I appreciate it. No problem at all. No problem. At all. I think I've said, I think that's the first time ever I've said the word Michael three times in a sentence. So that's uh, <laughs> at least that's one first for this. Thing. But we're delighted to we're delighted to have you on, and we're delighted to uh, have you speaking to us about the uh, Saints and their off season so far. But before we actually get into that, if you uh, haven't already and you're watching us on YouTube, can you please hit that like button and subscribe? to the under center podcast also if you um agree with some of the points or you want to let us know what the show is like make sure you comment underneath the videos too just helps us in that algorithm you know get us up there to so more people can find the show too while you're at it as well if you prefer the audio side of the show you can get that as well just search for under center podcast wherever you get your uh, audio podcast and that's where you'll find us so make sure you're subscribed to us on there too on the social side of things we're facebook.com forward slash uh, under center pod we are instagram on instagram and twitter both at the same handle just at under center pod that's where you'll find us there as well just in case a few people have asked as well uh, recently too if you are spelling center we spell it the sort of well we call it the normal way it's the or before the e at the end of center, not the e before the r. Okay, so just in case, uh, just in case you want to uh, make sure you're following the right page. But let's get into some Saints talk. And Michael, I want to actually start with Drew Brees and his uh, announcement that he uh, retired this offseason after 19 years in the league, and actually 14 of them with with the New Orleans Saints. I guess it must have been a weird feeling heading into this offseason either not having Drew Brees on the team or not even speculating whether or not he's going to return. Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely, definitely weird. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I kind of just had the inkling that this was probably his last year. This past year was his last year. Um, and it's a bummer, you know, it's the end of an era, you know, pretty much the entire, as far as I can remember, you know, being a Saints fan, I've had Drew Brees as my quarterback, which is a blessing, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be crazy. See how many saints fans end up leaving just because Drew Brees is gone now. Um, but yeah, it's just, you know, you know what you got out of Drew Brees week in and week out. And it was a guy who was going to get, 
put you in a position to win. Um, and now, you know, as Saints Sands, we're just kind of entering a new era where we don't really know what's going on. You know, we don't we don't know who's even going to be the quarterback, and we haven't had that problem for 14 years. So it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting for sure. And obviously, it was really sad. You know, Drew Brees has done so much for the city of New Orleans and the Saints as a whole. Um, so yeah, you know, just yeah. I mean, if you if you know anything about Drew Brees' story, you know that. You know, he's like one of the hardest working dudes ever um, and that he he his impact on the city of New Orleans is, is far greater than just his impact on the football field. So, you know, seeing him retire and, and hang up the cleats was super sad for uh, the city as a whole and, and for Saints fans all across America and the world for that matter. Um, but, yeah, yeah, it's definitely it was it was, in my opinion, kind of expected. Um, it's just I don't know. It was expected, but at the same time, it doesn't make it any any less heartbreaking. Yeah, and it is. He is one of those rare quarterbacks as well that has uh, such a a personal connection with the city that he played in. Because there's not many quarterbacks that can say that, especially with everything that he did during Hurricane Katrina. Um, but then also maybe towards the end of it, he did sort of ruffle a couple of feathers, especially with his. Uh, comments around the uh, Black Lives Matter movement and his comparison to kneeling at the the national anthem. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, I don't know if that has too much of an impact on his overall legacy and things like that. I think Drew Brees is always going to just kind of be known as a guy who who is always just a community guy and a a very just overall well-respected guy. Um, And yeah, I mean, those comments he made were obviously, you know, unsettling, things like that. But I think it was just pure ignorance, and then he obviously owned up to it, and then you know he became educated in the matter, mm. and, and and you know just like a lot of people in the world, you know, a lot of us were were very uneducated, you know, with the whole with the whole movement going on and things like that until we became educated, and then you know, so it's just Drew Brees, you know, he's in the limelight, he's being asked all these questions, didn't really have time to process an answer, you know, and. So he said something out of character, which is, I mean, how many times can you say Drew Brees said something out of character? Probably that's the only time, really. I mean, (laughs) so it's like, yeah, yeah, he messed up, but he also owned up that he messed up and and he he came back and, you know, he apologized publicly and and he Mm -hmm. became educated in the matter. And I think he, he grew a lot from it and learned a lot from it as well. Exactly. And I, I think he said, I agree with you, Michael. I think he said a good example, right? We're not all politicians. We're not trying to what we say. And you can have certain opinions, but what we ask of everybody is to go out and educate yourself afterwards and, and maybe become more informed before you really stick to your guns. Sticking with Drew Brees and the and the Saints quarterbacks at the moment, I've got kind of two questions for you. The first one is, what did you, what did you make of his last season? Definitely he had a really rough start slowly got into it and found his feet under him again. But I don't know. I heard rumors at the end that his arm strength, he couldn't even get to sign the dotted line. He actually had to sign under the dotted line. Couldn't get that pen up there. Was that a frustration for you watching the Saints last season? Yeah. Yeah. He definitely wasn't the same Drew Brees that we'd seen in years past. And it's just kind of kind of a bummer because, you know, we kind of wish he would have maybe just hung up the cleats a couple years ago. We'd probably be in much better shape at the quarterback position right now. Um, you know, but we wanted to get that one last ring for Drew and it never happened, um, you know, because we'd probably have Tom Brady right now, you know, um, because I know that there was a lot of interest in him coming to New Orleans if Drew Brees was gone. But the fact that he never left, 
kind of just, you know, we kind of washed away our chances of getting Tom Brady in town. But um, with that being said, yeah, you know, it was obviously a bummer seeing the quarterback that you've seen just tear up the league for for over a decade, um, you know, struggle to get the ball down the field to a very talented, underrated receiving unit. But at the same time, he was also injured. I mean, the dude, the dude literally could have lost his life on the football field. He he broke like I think it was like twelve ribs or something like that. Still threw a touchdown pass with his broken ribs. I mean, he punctured a lung. I mean, the dude literally his season could have ended way sooner than it did. And you know, he came back because he he knew it was going to be his last year. Everybody knew it was going to be his last year. And he came back and he still tried to, you know, fight for his teammates, try, still try to, you know, help us get get a couple playoff wins, make a run at the Super Bowl. Unfortunately, you know, we got that first playoff win against Chicago, but we didn't get one against in the second round against Tampa Bay. So, you know, it's unfortunate. But, you know, at the same time, you know, all good things have to come to an end. So, you know, Drew Brees, you know, I think that his last couple years with the Saints should not reflect on how. Mm how big of an impact Drew Brees had on the New Orleans Saints as a whole. I know a lot of people like to just kind of judge about the recent performances and things like that. But if you look at Drew Brees' career as a whole and you line it up against guys like Tom Brady, excluding the Super Bowls, obviously, but if you line it up to a guy like Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers or, you know, any any other quarterbacks that you consider great, his numbers are right up there above theirs in a lot of categories. So mm-hmm. I, think, I think Drew Brees certainly – made his impact felt in New Orleans. Um, and I don't think his last couple of years, while it, it did stink to see him struggle to get the ball down the field, and it was very visible. You know, I think I'd never seen Drew Brees really, you know, animated or, or upset in, in very many interviews in my life. But, you know, seeing him kind of animated in some interviews this past season was obviously very heartbreaking as a Saints fan because you could tell that, that he was a little bit messed up mentally and physically. And, yeah, you know, it, it, it definitely stunk a little bit. And I'm glad you brought up about a kind of the state of the Saints at the moment. And obviously you mentioned everyone knew that it was coming, right? He's getting older. He can't play forever. And we'll touch on later about who the quarterback situation specifically. But are you a little bit frustrated with how how the Saints maybe planned out their last five years, given that this wasn't a shock retirement and a lot of the struggles they've had in terms of cap space, not just at the quarterback position, but across the whole roster. Is that a little bit frustrating for you this season? Mm, Yes and no. Yes in the regards of the quarterback position, but no in the regards for the rest of the roster. And I'll explain. So obviously we've seen the Saints, you know, make some questionable picks in the first round of the draft and then make up for it in the later rounds of the draft by stealing guys like Kamara or Michael Thomas or, you know, guys like that, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, and make up for it completely. But, you know, we have also passed up on guys like Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, and guys that we that we were very high on in the draft process that we thought we definitely, you know, could have added to the roster to groom under Drew Brees for a year or two, and then he would inevitably hang up the cleats, and then we would have our next successor at the quarterback position. Um, so yeah, it's a little bit frustrating in that regard, but especially when you see what Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes are doing now, just, I mean, they both have won an MVP respectively and Drew Brees had never even won an MVP award. Uh, I mean, Patrick Mahomes has been to two Super Bowls, won one of them. Lamar Jackson's always in the playoffs, dominating on the ground and, and with his arm as well. So it's, it's frustrating in that regard. I definitely thought a couple years ago when Lamar Jackson was drafted, I thought we were definitely trading up to take him and not take Marcus Davenport. But we, you know how that turned out. Um, so that's a little bit frustrating. But the the thing that's not frustrating is 
the home runs that we have hit in the past five years, like Michael Thomas, like Alvin Kamara, like, you know, guys like that who Marshawn Lattimore, you know, like our roster would not be anything near where it is if we didn't have those guys a hundred percent. So while it's frustrating that we didn't snag that quarterback, you could argue that we would still be putting up seven and nine seasons year after year after year if we didn't make those other picks. So it's frustrating, but at the end of the day, everything happens for a reason. And Sean Payton has given me no reason not to trust him as the head coach of the New Orleans Saints. So until he gives me a reason not to trust him and in, in his plan that he has, I, I'm rolling with Sean Payton and, and his logic for sure. So it's it's frustrating whenever you whenever you look back and you're like, oh man, we could have had Patrick Mahomes right here instead of so and so. But at the end of the day, we would have also had to address that cornerback position, and we could be doing the same thing. You know, everything mm-hmm. everything has a system, and who's who's to say that Lamar Jackson would thrive in New Orleans Saints system? You know what I mean? Or Patrick Mahomes? I feel like he could probably thrive in any system, but but still, you know, you never know because every they're playing for Andy Reid and they're playing for John Harbaugh. They're not. They're not playing or Jim Harbaugh, whichever whichever Harbaugh it is. <laughs> <laughs> but they're not playing. They're not playing for Sean Payton. So, you know, it's a little bit different. Every every coach has their own little schemes and stuff like that. So, the answer to that question, I guess, is yes and no because I think you know we have gotten some very good talent in the past in the past five years, but we also have passed up on some great talent as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and let's move on and have a look actually at the uh, upcoming schedule for for the Saints because it is an interesting one that they're going to have with their first year without Drew Brees. They have the early bye week this year. Uh, Three of the last four games of the season are going to be divisional games. Um, And you're slated down to face the AFC and NFC East this year. So one tough one not so tough. I left you on the side which one's going to be tough and not so tough, which division. (laughs) But uh, what do you make of the schedule overall? Uh, I think it's a winnable schedule. I also think it's a very losable schedule for the Saints. I think they play some some marquee matchups. Um, you know, the fact that the Saints have multiple primetime games just goes to show that the Saints are still a team that should be considered in contention um, and not a team that's just going to go out there and just just be terrible all year long. Um, obviously, we still have yet to know a lot of a lot of things in New Orleans as far as who's going to be the quarterback, you know, who's going to be wide receiver two, you know, a bunch of a bunch of different scenarios that we just don't have answers to at this at this point in time, but that we will have answers to shortly. Um, but like I said, I just I kind of just trust Sean Payton. You know, I think as long as Sean Payton's is our head coach, you know, I think we have a shot to win every single game. Um, I think the games that we will inevitably lose will be close ones. Um, I don't think we're going to get blown out at all unless Jameis Winston reverts back to his 2019 Jameis Winston and tosses 30 picks for us, um, which would just be outstanding. But um, yeah, I think I think we got a good shot. I think we have a shot to. I don't th- I don't know if we'll knock off the Bucks and win our our fourth consecutive NFC South division title, but I do think we have a shot at you know making a wild card spot. Um, it is a 17 game schedule, so. You know, the Saints, the Saints pride themselves on having good depth all throughout their roster. I think they've made some very solid moves. Um, and I think we'll probably see a lot more of Alvin Kamara this year than anything else. I think we're probably going to be more of a ground and pound team. We have three really good running backs on our roster and Alvin Kamara, Latavius Murray and Ty Montgomery, who have all proven they can play very, very well at a very high level. And I think we could very well be a ground and pound team. We have one of the league's best offensive lines. Um, so for some reason, you know, the quarterback position is a little wishy-washy. I mean, we have 
two running backs who can easily average four to five yards a carry and just run the ball down the field all the time if we need to. So I'm not I'm not all that concerned. I, I don't know how well we're going to do. It is a little bit of a tough schedule for sure. Um, but I, I think I, I think we have a shot. You know, I think if Jameis Winston took any pieces of knowledge from Drew Brees last year, you know, I think I think we have a good shot. So and who's to say that we won't go out and trade for Aaron Rodgers still? So. <laughs> well, <laughs> Mike, Michael, I've been asking our guests recently when we when we've been talking about the schedule. I know everyone likes to say it's tough, that it's going to be grinding. We might get a few wins here and there. I want you to put your money where your mouth is and tell me a a guaranteed win for you guys this season. Who who are you going to promise me they're going to beat? We're sweeping the Falcons 2-0 this year. Okay, okay, okay. That might be very interesting. They have a nice little tight end they got there. Uh, that's about all they have. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. I'm just trying to rile you a little bit. Uh, I, uh, listen, I, I, I can't stand by and listen to all this hate towards Calvin Ridley. He's a great wide receiver. He's going to be a true wide receiver. He's a one. great wide receiver, too. He is a fantastic wide receiver, too. Uh, but uh, looking at actually, let's let's go back a little further and let's actually look at the draft because uh, the Saints surprised a lot of people by uh, picking Peyton Turner, uh, the defensive end in the first round. But interestingly enough, though, in the fourth round, they uh, drafted QB Ian Book. So are we possibly? And I apologize in advance for this. Are we possibly seeing the long-term replacement for Drew Brees? And will the Saints turn the page in a new chapter uh, on their new book? I'm sorry, that's all the book puns I have for now. You're a professional, Dara. You're a professional. That was fantastic. <laughs> Man, I'm usually the one that whips out the dad jokes. <laughs> but, but yes, yes, absolutely. I think Ian Book, I, I actually tweeted it right after we selected Ian Book. Ian Book is the type of quarterback that, that Sean Payton wishes Taysom Hill would be you know what i mean he's he's much more polished and poised than Taysom hill but he has that same exact athleticism that same you know just overall like spunkiness about him the the hard work the effort all that 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 the saints love in Taysom hill but it's in a much more polished and poised quarterback option um the thing about ian book is he's he's a hard worker and the thing that's kind of unique kind of about the saints quarterback room is that there's a good chance that we could see Ian Book as the starting quarterback as soon as next season. Not this upcoming one, but the one after. Like the 2022-23 season, we could easily see Ian Book as the team's starting quarterback simply because Jameis Winston is only on a one-year deal. We have Taysom Hill, who's on – he's on like a five-year deal, but it's all like team options. So basically we have like the option to just release him after this year and not have to pay that much money for doing it or we can trade him and things like that. And then whoever we trade him to has like four years left of him or whatever the case may be. There's a plenty of options in our quarterback room to where we have some flexibility. The only one that's under like a four-year deal – with like guaranteed money where things get tricky and things like that is Ian book. And I think he has a very good shot. If he can come in and just absolutely just learn the playbook right away and just go out there and emphasize on his opportunities. I think he's got a great shot to be the eventual Drew Brees replacement. And Drew Brees even came out before the draft and was super high on Ian book throughout the entire draft process. And, you know, everybody was just kind of putting guys like Kyle Trask with the Saints or Mac Jones with the Saints, you know, guys like that pairing them with the Saints. But, you know, I think the Saints were patient. They waited, got their guy in the fourth round where they wanted him. And, you know, when a guy like Drew Brees is high on on Ian Book, you listen, especially, you know, 
you know, considering everything Drew Brees has done for for the city of New Orleans and the Saints as a whole. So you you just kind of listen. You go out there and you, you pick Ian Book, and you know they did, and I think he's got a good shot. I mean, he can't be much worse than than Taysom Hill, <laughs> to be honest. So as long as he's a little bit better than Taysom Hill, we're off to a good start. But the Peyton Turner selection, it just it, it shocked me at first a little bit too. But then whenever you consider the fact that it is a 17 game schedule, and you have Marcus Davenport, who's only got you know like two years left on his deal. And then you have Cameron Jordan, who's getting up there in age. And, you know, you start to see his play decline. And then, you know, you really don't have too much defensive in-depth. And Peyton Turner kind of has that ability to play on the inside D-tackle spot as well as the exterior on the defensive end spot. Um, you just kind of look and you're like, well, the defensive line is going to get banged up quite a bit this year, most likely. So, you know, it's a 17-game schedule. It's a whole extra game. And you mentioned the early bye week. So, you know, that second half of the schedule – is going to be pretty rough on those defensive linemen and offensive linemen. So adding some depth in that area, especially good depth, a first-round pick type of depth, is very, very, very smart. And and Sean Payton's, you know, like, you know, just like his repertoire, he's always like kind of just done things like that. Where like, hmm, well, you know, like our bye week is pretty early this year because you you already know that they know the schedule well before the draft. So it's just like they already knew that they were probably going to have an early bye week. So. You know, they're probably like, well, let's see. Let's just get some good defensive in-depth. You know, we have him, and then we got that, that passing young guy, whatever his name is, <laughs> from the Chiefs. He's pretty solid, yeah. too. Yeah, so, I mean, to know to, to know Kasim, um, yeah, that dude. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, you, know, you notice – you start to see, like, trends whenever you watch a team closely. I know that you're a Seahawks fan, and you see it, and you're a Washington football team fan, and you see it. So whenever you watch your team closely, you start to notice the trends that they do. And the Saints the Saints always just kind of have a trend of just beefing up their defensive line. So whenever we lost Malcolm Brown and we lost Trey Hendrickson and we lost all those dudes to free agency, it was kind of expected that they were going to pick up a defensive lineman at some point. If they didn't do it in the first round, they were going to do it in the second. So it's almost better that we just went ahead and got the better defensive end because that kind of opens mm -hmm. up doors of opportunity to possibly trade a guy like Davenport or trade a guy like Cameron Jordan you know, in the near future to acquire some future draft picks, acquire some future assets. Because if this year doesn't go well for the Saints, they're probably going to just tear it down and, and start from scratch. So, you know, this year is kind of going to be like a year where we just kind of feel things out, gauge, see where we're, where we're, how we're looking. Um, and, you know, if, if we make the playoffs or if we're still in good shape to make the playoffs, then we probably won't tear it down and we'll weigh our options from there. But, you know, just adding adding great players – in a position that you've seen great success at over the past five years is, is, is a great, is a great thing to do. So. Mm -hmm. And do you think obviously the next two picks were also defensive picks? Is that a case of maybe Sean Payton looking at his, at his team and deciding, well, aside from the quarterback, I'm, I'm very happy with my offense and the address, the things I need to address around the defense. Or is it a bit like that Turner pick where he's going, well, look, these are the, the, the three best available players, regardless of whether they're at an offense or defensive position that we have on our draft board. What way did you see that going? Was it a case of just best available or I want to specifically address my defense before I do anything else? I think it was slightly a combination of both. Um, I think the Peyton Turner pick was just kind of like best available. Like I don't see anybody else really worth picking here. So let's just pick Peyton Turner. But I think the selections of Pete Werner and Paulson Adebo were like, well, let's see. We have major holes in our linebacker on our linebacker unit. You know, we lost 
a couple guys this offseason to linebacker uh, at the linebacker position. So we lost them. You know, Quan Alexander was a huge part of our defense, and he was a very versatile, athletic linebacker for us. We also lost Alex Anzalone, a um, couple other dudes as well. So we needed to pick up some linebackers at some point. So you know that 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 selection right there um, of Pete Werner is obviously a very very good pick um, because he's just he's got that versatile like you know that versatile linebacker um type of type of deal there um he's very like a hybrid guy too he can he can pass defense very very well he can tackle really well it's the kind of guy that the saints like at the linebacker position then the selection of stanford's paulson adebo i think that one was i think that one is that's my favorite pick of the entire draft and it's because we needed an outside we needed another corner to complement marshawn Lattimore. but i think the outlying like underlying like effects of that pick to potentially land a guy like richard sherman is a very i'll explain it here in a second all right so basically my whole thing about it i talked about it on a couple other podcasts i think that the saints picked paulson adebo not just because he's good but because they're trying to get richard sherman in town as well um so you know they both obviously stand for corners you know richard sherman has always been very vocal about how good paulson adebo is um they're also both converted wide receivers um, but also Paulson Adebo is a raw prospect. You know, he's not at the level of Richard Sherman. And so Richard Sherman would not have a fight for a job opportunity. You know what I mean? He would start if he signed with the Saints. Um, and then the fact that Richard Sherman and this and, you know, Chris Richard have chemistry together um, just kind of I just feel like the writing's on the wall as far as mm. Richard Sherman coming to New Orleans. So I think that selection, you know, if you look at it in that in that spiel, it's just kind of, you know, a, a, a secondary that has Marshawn Lattimore, Richard Sherman, Paulson Adebo, you know, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, Malcolm Jenkins, Marcus Williams. That's a dang good secondary, if you ask me. That's mm-hmm. a secondary that can definitely get you to the playoffs. And then, you hey, know, Michael, I don't want to burst your bubble, but I'm not sure the Saints have the cash money to get Mr. Richard hey. Sherman over to them. I think that's going to be their big problem. I mean, we got about six million. If we just put him on a one-year six million prove-it deal, mm. that's all we need him for. We only need him for a year. So, and I mean, the Saints have proven it time and time again. We had negative a hundred million entering the offseason, and we <laughs> we didn't really have to lose too much of anything, really. <laughs> so we got ways around everything, my man. <laughs> but I mean, hey, hey, man. But listen, it's just cap the cap cap space is just a myth out here yes yes we've yeah. seen that more than anything else <laughs> yeah. this year is like these teams can just change any contract and just move yeah. a fr- kick it down the road and find a year where the salary cap goes up and take mm-hmm. a lump then exactly that's, a, that's the term of the off seasons and avoid years that's what it was that's a that's all we've heard of this off season trying <laughs> to work around that cap space void years but let, let's actually move forward it's week one uh, you're in carolina who is going to be QB1 on that day in Carolina? Because interestingly, I actually saw Chris Sims on Pro Football Talk. He was doing his QB rankings, and he actually ranked Taysom Hill above Jameis Winston, probably indicating that he thinks Hill will start week one. Is that what you think yourself, or do you think maybe Peyton might go for Winston to be the week one star? Man, oh, man. You you brought in Chris Sims' opinion onto this. No, look, I did. I, I warned you. I said I wouldn't do any gotcha journalism, but I didn't say I, I wouldn't ask for from the opinions of some other people. You know, I didn't say they were good opinions. I just thought I'd bring them on. 
Yeah, no, it's okay. Chris Sims' opinion to me weighs about as much as a penny in your hand, but it's okay. Uh, yeah, no, no. Jameis Winston is obviously a much better quarterback than Taysom Hill. I mean, Taysom Hill, he played in – I mean, he played in all 16 games, but he only started like six or – I think he only started like five or six games as the quarterback for the Saints, and he led the NFL in turnovers. So there's that. Um, Jameis Winston, you know, he came into a playoff game against his former team, tossed a touchdown when Drew Brees couldn't. Granted, it was a gimme touchdown. All he had to do was complete the pass, but he, he threw a touchdown in the playoffs against his former team. Um, you know, he looked a lot better. Um, if you if you look at the offseason workouts, as far as the Saints are concerned, all the guys, all the big name guys like Traquan Smith, Michael Thomas, you know, Adam Troutman, they're all working out with Jameis Winston. No one's working out with Taysom Hill. I mean, the dude's just sitting out there in, in Utah, just twiddling his thumbs. I feel like <laughs> maybe hitting the weight rooms. I mean, I don't know what he's doing, man, but he better not be preparing to be our starting quarterback because. Oh man! If if Taysom Hill is the starting quarterback, I might just literally cry every single Sunday, and <laughs> probably just not even watch the game. And just maybe if I do, I'll just keep one eye closed. And I don't know, man. But I I really hope it's Jameis Winston, the former number one overall draft pick, by the way, taking yeah. this map. Former Heisman Trophy winner, by the way, the former Florida State national champion, by the way. Man, it sure would what? be nice. The guy that Drew Brees handpicked and said this is your team now i really hope that that's the guy that'll be taking the snaps under center week one and not the other guy from byu who had four acl tears in five years in college and is almost like 35 years old or something like that so i don't know i love don't get me wrong i love Taysom hill and everything he brings to our team and our offense as a whole but i do not do not like Taysom hill as our starting quarterback at all so so it, it sounds to me, Michael, you're pretty comfortable with James Winston. If we if we say that the Packers say they're really, really sorry to Aaron Rodgers and he says, okay, fine, I'll stay there. It sounds to me like you're not really interested in getting any other – like you'd be happy for Winston to take that starting job and keep it out for the rest of the season. You wouldn't be shopping around for any new faces. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think Jameis Winston has more than earned his keep as far as, you know – getting at least an opportunity to start for the Saints. You know, I mean, the dude hasn't charged us anything really the past two years. And, I mean, he's a quarterback in the NFL who could have left the Saints and easily have gotten $20, $25 million on like a two-year deal, three-year deal, something like that, easily. You know, he was one of the hottest free agent quarterbacks on the market, and he decided to stay in New Orleans, take a massive pay cut. I mean, this first year with New Orleans, Tolard under Drew Brees and Sean Payton, he he only charged us $1.1 million. Like, that's barely over the veteran's minimum. So, so it's just like, I mean, the dude clearly wants to be in New Orleans. The dude doesn't want to leave the NFC South. He, I mean, you have to remember, that's another thing to weigh in, too. Like, he knows the Tampa Bay Buccaneers like the back of his hand. He played under Bruce Arians. He, he's and his entire career has played against the Carolina Panthers. He's played against the Atlanta Falcons. He's played against the Saints. Um, he And obviously he knows the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you know, so he's used to playing in the NFC South. He knows the majority of the dudes who will be taking the field against him. So that's all good. And then, I mean, he obviously got to learn underneath Drew Brees and Sean Payton for an entire year, learn the playbook, things like that. The only thing that's a little bit concerning is the fact that he struggles with his slant route um, completion percentages is what we're hearing, I guess. But, you know, it's, it's easily things that could be coachable. Um, Sean Payton is a former quarterback himself. He's one of the best head coaches in the NFL when it comes to developing players. 
and f- to fit his system. So, um, I mean, honestly, I can't think of the last time a quarterback has ever like genuinely struggled under Sean Payton. I mean, look at when we had Teddy Bridgewater, he even thrived. And I mean, look at him now, like in Carolina, he was mediocre at best, you know, as their starting quarterback. And now he's in Denver competing with Drew Locke for a starting quarterback job. Like, you know what I mean? It's just like, how is, I mean, Sean Payton has never really had a bad quarterback on his roster. I mean, even Taysom Hill showed flashes of greatness. You know what I mean? Like, sure, he led the league in turnovers or whatever the case may be. But a lot of those turnovers, I guess, were him just fumbling the ball all the time. So, who knows, honestly, but I know Sean Payton really likes the two of them. It's going to be a really, really good quarterback battle. I'm really excited for the preseason this year. Um, but, yeah, I don't I don't think it's Ian Book. I think it's probably going to be Jameis Winston. If it's not Jameis Winston, then hopefully it's Ian Book. But, I, I, yeah, it's probably – I hope it's Jameis Winston, but it just better not be Taysom. That's all, that's all I know. <laughs> It'd be interesting if it, is, if it is Winston because there is a lot of upside to having – Winston as the starter instead of Taysom Hill, most notably, obviously, with, with Michael Thomas. You know, I'm sure he is going to see a lot more targets. Um, now, I'm sure he'd be covered a lot more this year because, obviously, he lost Emmanuel Sanders, who was obviously brought in to, to be that guy to sort of give Michael Thomas the freedom to sort of, you know, break his uh, reception record he, he made two years ago. Also, on the running back side of things with, with Alvin Kamara, there's a lot of options to do what Drew Brees did as well with, with the with the dumps to the the running back to, to run and obviously for him to run himself. But with Taysom Hill, yeah, you could see more of a... I'd want to say more of a Ravens offense going forward. It would be under Sean Payton. If it was going to be Taysom Hill as a starter, you'd see a lot more QB keeps probably running in, maybe t- maybe not throwing it as much. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you there. Um, it's just, yeah, it's just two completely different offenses, it seems like. And that's why it kind of does scare me because I really do think that Taysom Hill could be the starting quarterback for the Saints just because he's been there longer, just because he has chemistry with Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara and guys like that. Um but at the same time, you're seeing Alvin Kamara and Traquan Smith and Michael Thomas and Adam Troutman, all these dudes work out with Jameis Winston throughout the offseason. So it's really just up in the air at this point. And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if we didn't know the starting quarterback until two days before our opening week, if I'm being honest with you. Like, <laughs> I mean, it'd be it actually probably be smart to keep the Carolina Panthers guessing like that, to just wait until like the day before. Yeah, I think we should do that. But <laughs> But yeah, but it's, it's I guess uh, on the other side of things though it is a good it it is good weapons to have because there are going to be games in the schedule where it's going to be more favorable to throw the ball so you have Winston and there'll be other games where it'd be more favorable to you know just ground and pound the team who's maybe defensive line and linebackers aren't as strong but their secondary can, you know, will they be ready to pick off any error that Winston makes? So it'd be good to have the options of both so it could be fluid in terms of, okay, this game is better for Hill and this game is better for Winston. Yeah, I think you just kind of have to take it a week-to-week basis. But like like I said earlier in the show, I think I think the Saints are very much going to be leaning more heavily on, on the running back room that we have. Um, I mean, you notice that the Saints really don't have a great receiving unit outside of Michael Thomas. And Traquan Smith, I think, is going to be an emerging star for us. And Deontay Harris is very good as well. But outside of, like, I mean, Michael Thomas really, I mean, there's really no proven 
secondary option. And the Saints really didn't do much to address the wide receiver unit, which just kind of goes to show that they're not really too focused on the passing and air game this year. I think they're going to be more focused on just ground and pound. You know, there was a lot of rumors that Latavius Murray was going to be released um, this offseason, but that never ended up happening. And I think that's because they want to keep, you know, the like the boom and zoom type of, you know, offense with with Kamara being the zoom and then Latavius Murray being the boom, you know, kind of like what they had with Mark Ingram a couple years ago. The Saints have always just had success with a power back and a receiving back. And, you know, I think as long as they can just kind of count on those guys to just, you know, just put put points on the board and, you know, just get down the field, keep them in, keep them in field goal range, just keep the other team off the field as much as possible, you know, run the clock down and then see where you're at in the fourth quarter. Um, I think, you know, that opens up a lot more opportunities for success um, as far as passing the ball. I think you I think the Saints are going to be a lot more of, you know, running to set up the pass this year in turn rather than, you know, like passing to set up the run this year, which is usually what they are. Um, so I think, you know, it goes back to that, like, are you disappointed with the past like five years question that you asked earlier? It's just kind of like, no, because, you know, it sets us up nicely in terms of, you know, being able to, you know, have these weapons like Kamara and being able to run the ball and have that, have those options, you know what I mean? And then obviously like having Adam Troutman, who's going to be an emerging tight end and, you know, just things like that. I think, you know, the Saints have built their roster in a way to where it's going to be a run first team. You know, you notice that Adam Troutman and the other two tight ends that they have on the roster are very much blocking tight ends. Uh, they're block first and then catch second, you know what I mean? And then, you know, we have a very – we put a lot of pride and emphasis on our running back room this offseason and not so much really anywhere else on the offense other than the offensive line. You know, we brought in a couple pieces on the offensive line to beef that up a little bit. So I think that and then, you know, yeah. It's just – it's and the whole Jameis Winston throwing interceptions thing, it's hard to tell. You know what I mean? It's, it's hard to tell whether, you know, him using the – the, the eye surgery thing as, you know, just an excuse for him throwing 30 interceptions or whether or not that was actually a genuine problem or not. So, you know, you know, time will tell in terms of that. Hopefully he does not throw 30 interceptions. I'll, I'll settle with like 25, 27, 27 interceptions. As long as he doesn't throw 30, I'm, no, I'm just playing. But yeah, you know, I think Jameis Winston's probably the better option overall. I think he's just probably – you know, he, I just think he has more experience at the quarterback position that, that could come to the Saints. You know, it depends really on if they want experience or if they want athleticism. So that's, I think that's pretty much what it's going to come down to. But I think the Saints will have a, a pretty successful offense either way. So Perfect. And listen, we're going to ask you one more question before we, we let you go, Michael. And, and, and that's probably the most surprising news of the offseason. So Sean Payton is getting a movie made about him and Bounty Gate. <laughs> Somebody decided that Kevin James was the <laughs> perfect man to play the role of Sean Payton. So, first of all, who was that person, and why haven't they been fired yet? But, <laughs> but seriously, no. But what, like, uh, why, why are we, what, what are you thinking ahead of like this movie? Is there something that you're going to be interested in seeing? I think I definitely got to see it to see if they're slandering the Saints or not. But I think it's gonna. <laughs> no, I think it's gonna be a good movie. I mean, it's the most perfect like I feel like NFL movie to ever be released because the NFL hates the Saints and they still try to punish the Saints for something that they did years ago and under an almost completely different coaching staff. So 
Yeah, I'll definitely watch it. I feel like it's going to be a good movie. Kevin James is a great actor. I don't know why he should be Sean Payton, but, you know, I feel like there's better options. Maybe I could have stepped in and been Sean Payton. You never know. Maybe <laughs> maybe you, you guys could have definitely been Sean Payton for sure. I think anybody besides Kevin James could have been Sean Payton, but it's okay. <laughs> I think I would have been a better selection if I was the guy who played Kevin James who was playing Sean Payton. I exactly. think that I think I would have been better in that case, but I don't think I don't I don't think I would have been as good as playing uh, as Sean Payton. But listen, um, we're going to uh, wrap it up here, Michael. Thanks so much for taking time to speak to us. Before we let you go, where can people find your socials and, and your show? Yeah, my Instagram is michael.valco. Um, you can follow that one. Uh, that's my personal account. And then my, my podcast is the Michael Balco show. That's on Instagram as well. On Twitter, you see it on the bottom of the screen. It's at Michael Balco Jr. You can follow me there. I post all my podcasts there as well. But other than that, my podcast is just called the Michael Balco show. You can find it anywhere you listen to podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, all that. Um, but yeah, I appreciate the invite, fellas. It means a lot that you guys reached out to me and everything. So it was nice talking some Saints football with you guys. And you know, I'll, I'll root on the little Seahawks a little bit. I'll root on the Washington <laughs> football team. <laughs> but don't worry about it. We will definitely have you back on the show and um, probably after that Monday night game against the Seahawks just to see, make sure you're not too disappointed. Um, and I think, I think, is it, I think then in week, is it week three or week four? I think you face Washington as well. I'm not sure. So, yeah, it's de- it's definitely early, so you won't be waiting too long. So you get those tough games out of the way, so then you can uh, focus on the rest of your season. But listen, <laughs> Michael, thanks so much uh, for coming on, and we look forward to speaking to you again soon. Yes, sir. I appreciate it. And a big thank you to Michael for taking time to speak to us today. We look forward to having him on the show again very soon indeed. But we're going to move on to our second team of today, and that is the Miami Dolphins. And we're also going to make a halftime substitution here as well, because Fionn has had to step away. But I'm delighted to welcome Jake back in for this part. And also, to help us speak about the Miami Dolphins, we have Simon and Lee from the Dolphin UK podcast. Lads thanks for coming on today how are you yeah doing really well thanks for, thanks for having me on and i'm sure i'll speak for simon as well thanks for having us on um yeah this could be a long one because we can talk about the dolphins all day <laughs> excellent stuff so we, we'll just hang back you know i i have got i've got i've got a guinness here beside me so if you two want to talk we can have a an impromptu doll fan podcast on the under center podcast and we'll we'll just sit here and enjoy with you guys sounds good to me <laughs> it's, it's interesting guys that you've got one of your colleagues who's holding out the podcast uh, because it is it became apparent today that um, Xavier Howard is effectively holding out of training camp at the moment due to a contract issue so it's uh, maybe Xavier Howard can follow the example of your colleague and have a few <laughs> beers and get over it don't worry Simon that's all coming up <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure if the Dolphins could offer him a couple of crates of beer a week they'd give it to him no butter you know somehow it would go like 7 million against the cap or something like that because you know caps are mitts and they can do whatever figures they want well we'll get into that in a second before we do if you are watching us on YouTube can you please make sure you hit that like button and uh, comment underneath what you think what you think of the podcast so far if you agree or disagree with any of our points uh, because that helps of course our algorithm and also subscribe to the under center podcast on YouTube because that's where you find the show each and every week alternatively 
that is also where you will get highlights of the show. So if you don't have time to watch the full show, there's some snippets there for the best parts that you can tune into instead as well. If you prefer the audio side, just go to wherever you get your podcast search under Center Podcasts. That's where you'll find us and you'll get our show each and every time we upload a new one. On the social side of things, facebook.com forward slash undercenterpod. Uh, Instagram and Twitter, about the same, at undercenterpod. We're at the quest for a 1,000 before week one of the regular season. We're going pretty nicely on Twitter. Instagram has got to catch up there a little bit. So if you're following on us on Twitter, go over to your Instagram and follow us on that too. Let's get those numbers up to a 1,000 before week one of the regular season. But look, that's enough social talk for the time being let's talk about the miami dolphins and simon i'm going to start with you first because you actually did mention it is the first big bit of news that we got today is cornerback xavier Howard decided that he's not going to take part in mandatory mini camps while he is holding out for a new contract is this something that you first of all expected or and secondly is this something that you're concerned about I mean, to be fair, it's been bubbling around for a while, certainly in the media. I don't think the Dolphins have ever, ever publicly commented until today when Brian Flores had his media availability. Um, so he's just literally confirmed what has been rumoured to be the case for a while now. So overall, it's not a surprise um, uh, and, and not unexpected. Uh, you'd like to think the two sides would get together to resolve the situation. Um, so it's not a concern right now because obviously we're only in mini camps we haven't hit the full-blown training camp yet so it's in the interest of both sides i think to get the situation resolved one way or the other certainly before the main training camp later in summer and lee what, what are you making of the xavier Howard situation so yeah i think i think this has been you know we, we we've all known this is coming and to be honest i think we knew it was coming the moment they signed byron jones to a b deal um, I know, you know, that's that's dictated by free agency rather than Xavier Howard was extended because he was already a Dolphin. Um, I, I think the, the team knew as well then that, you know, they were likely in for this down the road. Um, I think both sides get it figured out. I was lucky enough to be on Brian Flores' press conference earlier. Sounds sounds like he wants to get, get it kind of rectified. Um, I, I don't know how they do it. I just feel that... It, if they knew this was coming, which I believe they did, they probably would have moved in prior to the draft or during the draft. Um, I think once you've got to this stage, it's a case of working it out, whatever that has to be. I, I think they probably try and move some money and get him some money up front to make him happy rather than adding too many years on the deal because he, he had a bit of a problem with an arrest. And then he, he's got he, – he's, re- he's a real enigma because he, he's a really great corner. Um, his interception numbers are always fantastic. He's always been carrying a knee problem, which does rear its head. So he's also missed time. So it's a real, how, how, how much do you want to invest long term? So I think they find a way to get it done. It's just a case of kind of both sides getting somewhere where they're happy. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's important that the Dolphins don't fall into a trap where they make a terrible business decision. So he's had one uh, MVP type year. Does that equate to a new bumper deal considering that he's only just recently signed a contract extension? I think it would be a bad bit of business if they simply gave in to those demands because it sets a precedent for others like the uh, Mike Gesicki, for example, is in the final year of his contract 
Um, all being well, touch wood, they'll re-sign him to a new deal. But what happens next year if he goes off on one and has a 1,000 yards and 10 touchdowns? He's going to want George Kittle money, isn't he? So bearing in mind, if they give in to Howard, are they going to have to therefore do the same to, to Mike Gesicki, for example? Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned the Byron Jones deal as well. He got his bumper contract. El, uh, an, another team in the division, the Patriots are having their own problem with court. Their cornerbacks with Stephen Gilmore actually also looking for a, a bumper new deal there. And there are teams out there that are looking for cornerbacks, especially and mo- like most notably recently we spoke to uh, someone uh, on the Saints side of things. And I know they mentioned more Richard Sermon, but they are looking for someone uh, in the cornerback position. So if, if something in the meantime can't be done, I know he has the contract extension, but would could you uh, possibly see the Dolphins uh, moving on for Xavier Howard and maybe trading him? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a possibility that that they're willing to move him. Um, I don't think. I mean, we've been preaching this for a little while on the podcast. You, as a Dolphins fan, I wouldn't be getting too attached to to too many players because they're a little bit um, cutthroat in the front office. They're they're willing to to move on from guys. We saw that with someone like Van Noy, who seemed to be a favourite. They paid in free agency, but they were equally as happy to pay him to make sure he wasn't on the team this year. So, um, yeah, I, I think there's a chance. I mean, interesting that you mentioned the Saints, if you want to, to pick out a Dolphins connection there. Um, Jeff Island being in the front office there, the former GM of the Dolphins, they've done business in the past. Um, we saw with Kiko Alonso going that way and um, Vince Beagle coming our way, also trade with Kenny Stills a few years back. So, you know, there's some connections there if you, if you want to sort of draw some parallels. The one thing that I would, that people who listen to our podcast will be sick of hearing me say, but I'm going to say it anyway, is that the Dolphins don't let don't let news out. So you can disregard a lot of what you're going to see in the media in the next week. You know, now it's apparent that he's not there. I mean, Brian Flores doesn't talk about a lot, but I mean, he had no choice today because obviously the media were watching practice and Xavier Howard wasn't there. It becomes quite obvious. So he answered the question when asked, um, but we saw last week with Jerome Baker, the media asked him, have you talked about an extension? He basically deflected the question within days, signed a new deal. Um, no one knew about Carl Van Noy getting cut until 10 minutes before it happened. Like The Dolphins front office is very tight-lipped. Um, so until something actually comes out of um, like a very trusted source, disregard a lot of it. There'll be a lot of rubbish in the next few days. Yeah, and that has been something that we've seen with, with Flores this time there. He is a, a coach that if he isn't liking what he's seen, he's not one of them to just sit back and see if he if the player can adapt to his what style of play. He will cut someone if he doesn't think it's happening. He will actually, and it's not just players that that applies to. It also applies to the coaching staff as well, because it's, this is his. We're coming up for his third year as the head coach, and already we're on our third stroke fourth. If you include this year, when there's a dual <laughs> responsibility, um, offensive coordinators, and we've had uh, multiple changes along along the coaching staff over uh, all the time since he's been here. So it's not just players where they can be seen to be ruthless. It's coaching staff. If something doesn't work, they'll rectify it. And it doesn't matter who the name is. They just want to do what's best for the team. 
and it's it's funny. Sorry, um, it, it's funny, isn't it? After the Brian Flores' first year, I think as fans we were happy that the team won five games when everyone predicted we wouldn't win a game. Um, the offense at the end of the year really seemed like it was kind of hitting a bit of a rhythm. You're like, okay, it looks like they've got something to build from. Then the, the second day after the season ended, boom, offensive coordinator's gone. You're like, we're moving on. And you're like, hmm, that's a bit of a head scratcher, replace him and win 10 games. So it, obviously there's a lot more talent, but, you know, it, it, yeah. Yeah, well, um, we'll have a look and we'll, we'll come back to that in a second because I actually want to speak about the the schedule release um, that we had a few weeks ago because um, you're starting off with the Bills at home in your first game. You've actually got one of the latest buys uh, in the season this year as well. Tying in with that, you are, uh, well, not you are because you uh, the, the team are going to be coming over to London to face the Jaguars as well. Uh, are you? Are, are you, how are you feeling about the the schedule released this year? And and is um, are you happy to see the the Dolphins back in in London playing again? I'll start with Simon first. Yeah, I mean the schedule's um, a, mix, a bit of a mixed bag, if I'm honest, because we've got a, pr- a pretty much a. I haven't got the schedule in front of me, so I'm thinking off the top of my head. But I know I do know we've got a pretty much a, a, a difficult start. And if they don't get into a groove early, they can find themselves in a bit of a hole um, with some difficult opponents. Let me, I'm just trying to get it up now. Um, they've got the Patriots away, which is never an easy game. Bills at home, away at the uh, Las Vegas. Then they've got the Colts and the Buccaneers leading into the Jags game in London. So in theory, they've got on paper what looks to be a really tricky end uh, start. Having said that, though, the end of the schedule is really, really favourable. I think they're on the roads, um, I think, once in about two months, once they've finished that London trip, and you, you include the buy in that time period as well. Um, so they do have a favourable finish to the schedule. So if they do find themselves in a hole early, they've certainly got a decent enough uh, schedule after that to climb out of that hole. With regards to the late season buy, that's by choice and by design, I think, rather than taking a buy immediately after the London trip. They did it back in 2017 when the Dolphins were over here in London before they flew home right after the game on the Sunday and played Tennessee at home the next weekend and they won that game so they know it works. So I think having a late season buy works in their favour. Um, so overall, I think if you're weighing up the pros and cons of a schedule, I think it looks favourable. I think you might agree with that, Lee, won't you? Yeah, definitely. It, it's, it's. I'll be honest. I never worry too much about the schedule when it's released because we we've seen in the past what looks like a, a terrible slate of games can. By the time the season actually rolls around, these teams change so much from year to year that all of a sudden you're looking at the schedule and it looks really soft. So um, until the, until we see some teams actually hit the field and and, and get a true sense of what they are. Um, I wouldn't say I'm concerned. It's definitely, yeah, I mean, what Simon said about the late buy, the Dolphins have requested that on purpose. Um, they, they try, they've done this a couple of times. And also, Brian Flores is very much, that week will be treated the same as any other week. It's just a longer trip, you know. But, you know, it's not necessarily massively dissimilar than flying to play Seattle, um, you know, which they've done in the past. Brian Flores very much treats every game as if it's, you know, his own game. It's It's not... Um, it's not bigger because they're playing New England and, you know, he came from New England staff or anything like that. It, it's going to be one game at a time. I treat each each opponent 
well, on their own merits. Just have one quick question. Um, you know, you, you mentioned that the, the Bills and the Patriots there just earlier on. Now, obviously, that that uh, division has changed so much in, in recent years with Tom Brady moving to the Buccaneers. How do you feel you're situated, the Dolphins are situated within that division? Obviously, the Bills are a very serious contender. The Jets are always going to be the Jets. Um, where do you think the Dolphins fit into that equation? I think uh, we're not quite at the level of the Bills. Um, we've still got a little bit way to go to match their playing standards. But certainly in terms of the Patriots and the Jets, I would be very disappointed if we didn't finish above them um, this upcoming season. I mean, the Dolphins are primed for a playoff run uh, for this season with the work they've been doing in the, the draft and the off-season. And I, I can't say the same for the Jets and the Patriots right now, given their personnel. So the Bills are a different kettle of fish, of course, because they've got... Um, a, a pretty good team. They re reached the AFC Championship game last year, um, narrowly losing to the um, Chiefs, of course. So I think the Bills are still the team to beat in the division, but the Dolphins are heading in the right direction for definite. Yeah, and could one issue, you mentioned the Bills, and the the Bills, the standout is obviously the quarterback in, in Josh Allen. And, you know, there's, there's been a lot of questions about Miami's quarterback uh, to it um, so much so that there was a lot of speculation in the off season that they were going to trade for Deshaun Watson before his uh, legal troubles arose it seems as though a deal was going could have been done now did you first first of all did you believe that the Watson was a realistic um, target for for the Dolphins to come in and with that if that was true does that sort of put Two under a lot of pressure week one starting because um, he might feel that the team don't back me as much as they should. I'll start with Lee on this. Um, yeah, I mean, this could be a podcast on its own. Um, I never believed it, to be quite honest. Um, two has been the, the guy they wanted for two years. I, I they're not gonna. They're not going to write him off after nine games. They're also not going to give him a give him a statue after nine games. Had it had it gone well, it, it, you know, as you said, Brian Flores is a is a level headed guy. You know, quarterbacks are going to have up and downs, and especially rookies. You know, we saw some great play out of him last year. We also saw some some bad play, but you know, you can say that for two thirds of the quarterbacks in the league, probably more. So you know, I'm I'm not particularly concerned about it. I don't think that it was ever going to happen based on what I said earlier. The Dolphins don't let news out. So if it's, if it's going to happen, you'll find out at the last minute. The Laramie Tunsil stuff happens at the last minute, you know, very last minute. Um, it, it kind of escaped into the media. Um, it seems to be the way the Dolphins operate. And if something gets out, I actually think that the Dolphins pulled a plug on a lot of stuff. When, when you see some Dolphins news, probably there's been negotiations happened. Uh, not necessarily with Deshaun Watson, but I think when it comes to free agents and stuff. Um, but whenever you've seen that, none of them, very few have ever come to fruition. Um, and I'm trying to think of any that we kind of knew about. You know, in the offseason, it was um, Aaron Jones was the, the favourite running back. They definitely got a, a deal in place with Aaron Jones. It was like, he was signed before free agency even started. If that's the case, there's sanctions coming for tampering. It's just not true. Um but I understand the off-season, people have to find reasons to, to write stories. But for, for me, it was never going to happen. And I think, Dara, you said the key word there, speculation. 
I mean, it was all media driven. You never heard, as Lee said, nothing ever came out of the Dolphins in terms of leaks. It was all media driven. And the other thing that we've been talking about quite a lot on our podcast is the Dolphins have a plan and they've been they've been sticking to the plan for a couple of years and it's working. I know there's still some uh, players that are work in progress and you'd perhaps put to it in that, but stick to the plan. Do not deviate from the plan. Why would they? Because it's working. They're, they're contenders. Um, so I don't necessarily believe that either in terms of the Deshaun Watson being news. Um, however, like Lee said, if it's going to happen, um, it'll happen totally out of the blue. Fortunately, the the allegations that he's having to deal with Deshaun Watson, I mean, probably put a stop to just Deshaun Watson moving anywhere, not just the Dolphins. So a lot of teams were banking on having that capital to be able to draft draft uh, trade for Deshaun Watson. And of course, the Dolphins now have lost a lot of that capital already in the, in the in the draft. But interestingly, they did trade with the 49ers and acquire additional picks, including a, an extra first rounder in 2023. So they they are one of the few teams that do have that draft capital. I think them and the Eagles have have perhaps the most um, in the NFL. So I don't think for one minute um, it was ever close to being happened, but you just never know what's going to happen in the future, of course. I think Simon hit, hit a really good point there. Sorry, that when you think back to the draft, all the Deshaun Watson news came out prior to prior to the draft and really in the sort of the the, the latter stages of the build-up. So after we, we knew who all the prospects were and everyone had declared and before the draft itself. And I think the important thing to realise is the Dolphins were picking third and picking a wide receiver or a tight end at three doesn't doesn't make headlines. And the media need news and quarterbacks make news. They are, as soon as the Dolphins traded out of that third pick, the talk about two are stopped. It, it, you know, I think it was all very media driven and, you know, people need to, they need to get people to watch draft, draft stuff. I'm guilty of it. Every time I saw it pop up, I like, I've got to see what they're saying about two and out. But at the same time, it's like, you know, we're in a position where quarterbacks are going. But as soon as San Fran traded into that spot, it's like, well, they're after a quarterback. So all the news is focused on them and it's no longer about two or so. Well, if it's no longer about Tua back in the draft, let's just make a little bit about Tua right now. Um, obviously, last season it was a little bit tumultuous when starting games, getting benched for Ryan Fitzmagic, um, kind of that kind of little uh, roundabout that we had going for a while. And then even the reports that are coming out this week and today about, uh, you know, he's just having a bad start to camp. I know it's just camp. Again, it is all speculation. And this is the time where you take the chances and do kind of the mad plays and stuff. But is there any kind of concern on your side? Um, is Tua of the guy um is there something you can do to move him maybe move on to someone else or are you happy with sticking with him for another two years or whatever it is until his uh his fifth year option and then see how what where you get at that end yeah i think you've got to remember that um he suffered a serious injury um at alabama of course which put him out of action for the best part of a year so we had that to deal with in, in the run-up to last season he had the whole covid situation to cope with where there was no face-to-face meetings there were no otas there was no training camp no pre-season so we had all of that thrown into the mix on the back of a serious hip injury um yet the guy still won um nine games um so all things considered, I think he did pretty well. Yes, there were some games where he didn't play particularly well. The ones at Vegas and Buffalo spring to mind. Um, and he was yanked at Denver as well in favour of Fitzpatrick. 
But overall, I think when you compare him to other rookies as well, I think he, bearing in mind the success that Joe Burrow had before he got injured and Justin Herbert, who were both exceptional in terms of their rookie season, he had that comparison to contend with as well. But overall, if you look at the official quarterback ratings and stats and all that kind of thing, he does compare compare more than favourably to a lot of the rookies that have since gone on to have good careers in the NFL. Um, Good example, in terms of the Dolphins, he's got the highest quarterback rating as a rookie in history other than Dan Marino. So um, he he is in a good position now where he's got those OTAs, he's got the the training camps, he's got the preseason games to to shake off that rust, to develop that rapport with his receivers. So, and he is um, working his um, backside off in the off season as well to get fitter, to get stronger. He's saying all, and doing all of the right things. So he's putting himself in a good position to succeed. And on top of that, of course, he's now got a supporting cast around him this year, which he did not have arguably last year. If you think about the likes of Parker, uh, Williams, Jakeen Grant, none of them were particularly good at getting that separation from the defenders. Whereas you now throw in um, Albert Wilson, who's returning from an opt-out year, Jalen Waddle, Will Fuller, who are the speed guys. It throws a whole different complexion on the offense overall. And it puts Tua now in a more in a better position now to succeed than he was last year. So there's a lot to consider when when thinking about his development. Um, now is the time to look at Tua this year and see if he's that quarterback we all hope he is. I mean, there's also a cautionary tale with the Dolphins. Um, you, you put seven years of trust into Ryan Tannehill only to not build around him properly and then trade him and see that actually he, he can do a... I want to be careful which word I pick here. A a better than good job as a quarterback. Like I, I'm not comparing him to to Peyton Manning or Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers or anyone like that. But you can easily see the Titans being a Super Bowl team with Ryan Tannehill at quarterback, and I don't think that's a stretch. It, he's he's not carrying them there on his own. I understand it's Derrick Henry, but that's the point. You build around your quarterback's limitations at times. Um, and Ryan Tannehill, one thing he never had in Miami was an O-line, and that's something they've, they've definitely tried to address for Tua. Um, there's been a lot of resource ploughed into the O-line over the over the last year and this year, and then, as Simon touched on, they, they brought in receivers that suit his game. Um, you know, players that will play across the middle. Like, you can't go better than bringing in one of his favourite targets from Alabama. I'm a huge fan of Tua's actually being a fellow left-handed like uh, Tua is, but just also because it's kind of a good time for a young, young, exciting quarterback to be in the league. So I'm certainly rooting for his success. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it is, I, I, I think we're confident in Tua. But I, I understand why people are not for sure. I mean, when I mean, you put your your level-headed cap on and say, you know. We're also not blind to the fact that there were some bad games. But that's when you see the, the sort of brilliance of Brian Flores and the fact that he will stick to his word. He believed in those moments. Brian Fitzpatrick could help them win the game. And against Vegas, he was right. They were one game away, game away from making the playoffs. So that that game made perfect. It made sense. He got the result he wanted. Um, he would do the same thing at corner. If a corner was playing bad, he'd switch corners out. So he just he just extended that to the quarterback as a rookie coming off a bad injury 
I think the other thing to think about as well, guys, is that um, the national media have appeared. It doesn't appear to be any basis to those arguments whatsoever. I mean, they they're not the ones that see the uh, that are there close to the camp, seeing the practices week in week out. They don't know what goes on behind closed doors. They're not the ones that are close to the team in terms of reporting or um, watching uh, practices, as I say. So their agenda in terms of um, getting on the backs of tour um, doesn't have any basis to that whatsoever. And it's really strange and bizarre that they should be um, on that kind of bandwagon because um, he's done nothing to, to justify any of that. Hey, and I do know a few national reporters who shall remain nameless on this podcast, of course, who have who are uh, not worthy of a mention. Let's just say. Um, so that's another factor for the general population needs to consider is that um, they're not they're not close to the team and they don't see a lot of the detail that that we as fans do of the Dolphins and and certainly the local beat writers as well. Yeah, and and just having a look actually. Um... A little further back uh, at, at the running back position, um, because you have Miles Gaskin obviously there as, as RB one. Now he's he had his injuries issues last year, and, and Matt Breida was brought in to sort of try and 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 challenge him for the for the starting role. It, it did materialize, and he's moved on to to Buffalo now. We brought in Malcolm Brown from the Rams, who probably has a, a chip on his shoulder and something to prove after probably he feels maybe not getting a fair shake of it uh, at LA. Would you hope Malcolm Brown sort of challenges Miles Gaskin to be that number one uh, running back and could you see him overtaking him? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I've been down on the running back room for a while. Um, I was a desperate Najee Harris fan in, in the draft. I would have had him with our second first round pick. I, um, we'd say that I was upset when, when they didn't take him. I understand why they didn't, but at the same time, I think he would have fixed a lot of problems. I think you, you're you seeing that, that Brian Flores and the front office seem to be in lockstep about most things, and I believe that it's... You're seeing the New England model, where I, we don't need a named running back. We're going to ro- rotate bodies through, and we're going to basically try and utilise them on a, on a game-by-game basis to... As to who will be RB one in an ideal world, yeah, Malcolm Brown would for me would would, would prove to be an RB one because um, I, I think Mars Gaskin is a fine running back, but to me he he's an RB two. Um, he, he's going to gain yards, but he it just lacks the the sort of big play. He'll have a big game a couple of times a year, which I think kind of goes for any NFL worthy running back. You know, who wasn't playing for a, a, a really bad team? So, yeah, just to add to what Lee said, actually, um, if you think that I know they didn't address the running back position in free agency other than Brown or and the, the, the draft, they did um, select Jared Dokes in the later um, stages of the draft, so they didn't get that guaranteed RB1 that everybody hoped they would. But if you think about the wide receiver core that's now vastly improved, and that hopefully will. Um, open up the passing game. They've got a couple of new players on the offensive line as well, including Liam Eichenberg, who's a draft pick they got in round two, plus a couple of good free agents. Hopefully that improves um, the running game in itself so that uh, you can see how improving other areas of the team may naturally improve the running game. So let's face it, Miles Gaskins wasn't an RB1. 
but he was sufficient. He was competent, and you and you think about that on the back of a poor offensive line and a poor wide receiver core. Now, hopefully, it's the other way around, and you can see him naturally um, getting better as a result of of those improvements. Yeah, and and like you were saying there, the offensive line being so important too. Um, setting up the run and having a dominant run game, you've definitely made some additions in, in, in that side of the field with the likes of uh, DJ Fluker uh, and uh, Matt Skrilla there too. But I actually want to speak now about the defensive side of the ball because it was a pretty, uh, well, I wouldn't say dominant, but a pretty good defense that you had last year. I think it was you had one of the runs for like an interception at least every game as well tr- during the regular season. Um, most of the defense has has come back. We've also added a, a few um, experienced names, most notably Jason McCourty from the Patriots, too, to sort of give some experience there in the cornerback position. And I guess if you do, if it does happen where Xavier Howard moves on, you, you have someone to deputize there. Uh, have you sort of been happy with the additions? Uh, I, I should mention the draft as well. Sorry, uh, Javon Holland, the safety was signed there too as well. So, you know, they, they are um, gotten some good players in there. Have you been happy with the additions that's been made on the defensive side? Yeah, I mean, I, I have personally... Um... It's got Brian Flores' fingerprints all over it, especially being kind of heavy in the in the in the back end of the defense. You know, you, we've already spoken about Xavier Howard and Byron Jones and how much money is invested there. It's not an accident. Um, Brian Flores loves corners, and he loves corners he can depend on to play one on one. I think if you look at the way the contracts are structured, which may play into how this whole Xavier Howard saga plays out, is at the moment. They never having the two corners on that much money doesn't really put us in any cap problem coming up because you you kind of supplemented them with with rookies in in the safety position and, and some rookies across the front end of the defense. So once you kind of even the money out, it, it it kind of still works. And I think they will try and keep that tandem as long as possible, which again plays into why I think they this Xavier Howard thing gets done. I think Brian Flores loves the fact that he can send them out on the field and say, um, Xavier Howard, this is your guy, and Byron Jones, this is yours, and then forget about them. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I've been really impressed. And I think you can. we've been really lucky seeing all their games to see that Brian Flores is has been a brilliant defensive coach. Um, if anyone wants to, an example and, and has got some free time, go go and watch the Patriots Super Bowl against Jared Goff and then watch him play in Miami last year. And Jared Goff had no idea what was going on. And very much the same with Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert was brilliant last season. Take nothing away from him. In Miami, he looked like a true rookie. Um, he was confused. And again, it comes from coming out of that Patriot system, you know, the same way they make rookies look bad. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not surprised, but definitely glad that Brian Flores is on our team. And I, I think they're building the defense in, in his image. I think you guys keep an eye out for um, Javon Holland because he could be an absolute gem of a player. He was arguably the top-ranked safety coming out of the draft and the Dolphins somehow managed to snag him in round two. Um, he can be an absolute star. He's a uh, he's an awesome player. You've got Noah Igbenogne, of course, who's coming off a rookie season and a very difficult rookie season 
um, have to admit. But hopefully, again, if Brian Flores has got the confidence in his coaching staff that he can coach him up and um, and enhance his development, then he's one to watch as well. And you've got the likes of Justin Coleman, who they've signed, who's another cornerback, and obviously um, Jason McCourty as well. So you thought the Dolphins were pretty good last year at defence then, um, with the exception of Bobby McCain, who's gone, they haven't lost any, and, and Van Noy, they haven't lost anyone of, of any note um, and only enhanced the reputation of, of that um, defensive back core that, that Flores is, is building. Yeah, and sorry, go sorry ahead. I, just one other thing. I think you can see with, with Jason McCourty being brought in, is someone Brian Flores trusts and knows. He's already mentioned that he's going to play him at safety. Um, that he's actually going to be a position convert and then um, just to kind of further that connection with ex-Patriots players, Eric Rowe's been brilliant since he's been a Dolphin, played under Flores in in New England. These are guys that he trusts to implement the system and, and, you know, to make sure they're well organised. I think for the most part last year, with the exception of the Buffalo game to end the season, the the Dolphins' defence never looked out of sorts. I mean, they played brilliant against Kansas City. They played brilliant against a lot of teams. um, But but to be fair, everyone played bad against um, the Bills. That was just a horror show of a game. Just want to add, going into that Bills game, actually, the defence was ranked number one in the NFL in terms of points. And that uh, streak of turnovers that you mentioned earlier, Dara, I think is still ongoing. I think they got a turnover right near the end of that Bills game. In fact, it might have even been on the very last play, if Lee maybe correct me if I'm wrong there. So that game, that streak now stands at well over 20 um, in terms of consecutive games with a turnover. So just a couple of things to to highlight there with regards to just how good that defence actually is. So finally now going into the 2021 season, we didn't touch on it, but the Dolphins are probably one of the most unlucky sides not to reach the playoffs. You know, they had the, the record to make the playoffs, but they, uh, we, uh, 10, and, 10 and 6 last year, I believe the record was, and just missed out on, on the wild card spot. I'm guessing is the minimum expectation this coming season to make the playoffs? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're putting themselves in a, a prime position now to to make a run at the playoffs this season. Just going back to last season very quickly, uh, you mentioned about they didn't get in the playoffs with a 10-6 and six record. And as, as we got to the end of the season, I, I did a bit of analysis around 10-6 and six teams that did not make the playoffs. And I think the and I worked it out. The odds of not making the playoffs with a 10-6 and six record stood at something like 0.03%. So it was very, it's very, very unusual for a ten and six team not to make the playoffs, and of course, it just so happens it was the Dolphins that suffered this time. So I think you can, and that was with an extra team in the playoffs as well. Don't forget. Um, so it's even more unlikely that that, that scenario was going to um, present itself. So overall, I think they they're definitely in a better position now than they were last year to make a playoff run. Um, so if it really depends on. Um, Obviously, a lot of things out of their control, like form and injuries and stuff like that. But all things considered, all things being equal, I think um, if they don't make the playoffs this year, then they um, could consider themselves underperforming for sure. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, there'd have to be some exceptional circumstances for them to have a legitimate reason to not make the playoffs. Um, I I think... 
just speak for all of us and say we believe the team is better than they were last year, that they've plugged some holes. Um, yes, they've lost some names like Carl Van Noy, but I think they've replaced him with someone they feel is a better fit on on the team in, in a Bernardrick McKinney um, and a Jalen Phillips. I think they, they believe that that is a, a net gain over having a Van Noy on the, on the squad. So, yeah, I mean, making the playoffs. But I don't necessarily think that also means a massive jump in wins. I mean, if they win 11 or 12 games, I, I think we'd be just as happy um, because obviously we're playing a few more division um, winners and stuff with the way the schedule's set out simply by finishing higher in the division than we did the year previous. So, you know, if if teams play the way they, they expected to, I, I don't necessarily think it means they're a f- 14 or 15 win team they, they could just be a 12 win team um, but yeah I think playoffs is kind of the, the goal no matter what the record is okay I just have one more question before we go and I have to ask it because their co-host Fionn isn't online I was going to say if you could chalk a one matchup next year as a win or this year should I say who would it be against personally I'd go for um, a win in London um, the Dolphins don't have a particularly good record in London. Um, they've played there four times. They've lost three times each time they were the home team. The only game they won was when they were the away team against the Raiders, the, the away team this year. Um, so if there was a must-win game, personally, I'd like to see the Dolphins win in London. Uh, this is a really difficult question because because every year, every time I, every time I've seen them play. Baltimore, we get absolutely smashed by Baltimore. It's just embarrassing. And it always seems to be on national TV for some reason. So, I mean, I, you could definitely go there just having a quick scroll through. I think the one I've got to pick, though, is uh, 2nd of January. Cannot lose to the Titans because the Ryan Tannehill, Tua Tonga-Vailoa um, stuff in the news, and especially being near the end of the season, will be an absolute nightmare. <laughs> So, yeah, I, I need them to win that game. Um, one thing, one matchup to bring to your attention that could look a bit mouthwatching on paper is um, the Patriots away at the Dolphins at the end of the season, where you could see Mac Jones versus Tua, two former Alabama quarterbacks facing off. Um, and hopefully, you'll put to rest the argument once and for all that, that Tua is better than Mac Jones. Excellent stuff, excellent stuff, guys. Thanks so much for taking the time to speak to us today. We really appreciate it. Um, we hope um, if you are available to have you back on, if not some point before the season, definitely during the year. I, I, I'm going to pencil you in for the day after December the 5th after you beat the Giants. <laughs> okay, it's been awesome. Thank, thanks for having us on, guys. It's been really good and really honoured yeah. to, be, to be part of the show. So thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us on. At any time, we'll, we'll we'll come on, and we might even, if if contracts have been sorted, bring our third third host with us. Grand, yeah, we might bring our third if we can get him sorted <laughs> out in time too. If he if he accepts our latest contract offer, but if not, maybe we can negotiate a trade. Possibly, possibly, possibly. I don't know whether what what you'll what you'll do with a Washington fan, but you can tell him how good Fitzpatrick is and let him believe that for the next uh, the next six months or so that it's going to be Fitz magic instead of Fitz tragic. But look, we'll 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 see how that we'll see how that goes. But 
Hey guys, before we go, once more, if you haven't already, please like this video and subscribe to the Dynamo Podcast Network on YouTube. That's where you'll find the full show and highlights of the show too if you don't have the time to watch the full show. If you prefer the audio side, just search wherever you get your podcast under Center Podcast. You'll find us there. For a few people that have been asking recently as well, uh, more on the American side of things, if you're looking for us, we spell center ending in R-E, the correct way of spelling it, not E-R like they do, <laughs> like you guys do over there. Um, in, yeah, Instagram, Twitter, the exact same, at UndercenterPod, you'll find us there. And that is it for the show this week, uh, guys. We will be back again soon with another team's off-season uh, needs so far. But until then, stay safe, and we'll see you soon.